Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. Whether you know, uh, you're a nurse or a housekeeper, whether you're a physician or a lab technician, what happens here is important. Right. And it's important to the livelihood of, and you know, the well-being of your families. So there was an added sense of pressure to make sure, hey, we, we better make sure that not only we are sold to the right organization who's going to be continued to be focused on providing outstanding health care to our community, but also an organization that wasn't going to turn this into an apartment building. of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dale Surowitz, Chief Executive Officer of Providence Tarzana Medical Center, just outside of Los Angeles, California. In today's episode, Dale talks about his history in healthcare and how he became a chief executive by the age of 31 and how he's pretty much stayed rooted in the San Fernando Valley portion of Los Angeles County. He also reveals a little more detail on the recent joint venture between Cedars-Sinai Medical Center as well as Providence, two prestigious health systems here in the western part of the United States. We hope you enjoy today's show, and if you do, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. Dale, can you tell us something about you that might surprise us or even surprise your colleagues? I'll tell you something that was a little bit about uh, when I was growing up and something a little bit about me now. I'm a huge sports fan. Okay. Uh, I am in way too many fantasy football, baseball, basketball leagues. Yes. So that's a little bit too much. (laughs) So when you look at a hobby, it's... uh, my wife says it's taken way too much of my time. Nice. Now, are you the type that you said too many leagues? So football season's coming up. So we're recording here in the spring. Football season is coming up in the fall. Um, how many leagues and what platform do you use or platforms? Platforms. Okay. Four leagues. Four leagues. CBS Sportsline is one of the major platforms that we use. Also, we have uh, um, IVSPN and another one. Wow. Um, and I'm also <laughs> hooked in my with my son, so we do a father-son league. Nice. So I've got four of those, but that's um, nothing compared to baseball. Baseball is just too time-consuming. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because football is about once a week, right? You can do it once a week. Yeah. Baseball's almost every single day, so there's a lot of pressure. Nice. Well, in the room today with us is uh, my colleague Anthony Evangelista, who's actually a collegiate baseball player. So um, I'm sure you guys can probably talk baseball Very quite a cool. bit. <laughs> Very cool. Good. So uh, I actually had the chance to meet Dale um, a few weeks back at a, a gala event uh, put on by an organization called One Generation, which is a community-based organization here in the San Fernando Valley portion of Los Angeles. And um, out of curiosity, how did you get connected to that event or to One Generation? Well, it's funny. It's Not only am I connected to them from a professional perspective, but also on a personal level as well. About 12 years ago, I was the conservator for my aunt and my uncle. Okay. And as a result, we they were having going through some issues with dementia and Alzheimer's. And we were able to hook them up with um, One Generation, where they went there for uh, different programs, different services, and 
it really was pretty incredible. They did a fantastic job at One Generation of addressing their needs. My aunt and uncle looked forward to going to One Generation. It was a wonderful experience for them. And I really learned about their intergenerational activities and other things going on there. As the CEO of Providence Tarzana Medical Center, I know about their wonderful work because of the services that they provide to the community. And many of our staff and our team, when patients leave our facility, really look towards one generation for kind of assisting us and and providing some opportunities for some of the seniors who leave here to keep keep connected with much of their programming. So in in from both perspectives they're a phenomenal organization does tremendous work. Awesome, Dale. I've had the opportunity as well uh, in my day job to interact with One Generation. I mentioned my colleague Anthony who's here with us today is actually a board member there as well. So uh, I have a feeling some folks at OneGen uh, may be listening, so uh, there's a little plug for you guys. And uh, again, feel free to Google OneGen to learn more about them or reach out to myself or Dale, of course, too, if you guys want to be uh, connected to OneGen. So growing up, uh, looking at your uh, some of your background, did you grow up here in the Southern California area? I know you have a long tenure out here in SoCal, but... Tell us about where you grew up. And I grew up right here in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. I'm one of those rare people that grew up here, lived here, stayed here, worked here, and that's my whole, my career has actually, most of my career has been here. So I actually grew up, uh, raised in Van Nuys, went here locally to the local high schools yeah. and so forth before I went off to Cal, to Berkeley for undergraduate and then graduate school at USC. Yep. But for the last, since 1989, when I came back here to the San Fernando Valley, and since the time uh, I became a chief executive, I was 31 years old, and I've been here uh, running hospitals for the last 28 years, uh, right here in the San Fernando Valley. And in fact, here at Providence Tarzana Medical Center, I used to ride my bike past this hospital, and actually, the, the dunes of this hospital when it was being constructed, all the dirt that was there, I would ride my bike over the dunes while this hospital was being built in the early 1970s. Wow. So I've had a long connection, not just to the valley, but also to Providence Tarzana Medical Center. Interesting. So what? So you went to Cal for school. Now, it seems like, based on what you've just shared, that was kind of your only time away uh, long term for uh, for college. What inspired you to go to Cal? I always thought Cal would be a tremendous school to go to. One, it was also in that era, the late 70s was kind of an era still where there was a lot of activism. And I thought that was so really a cool thing to do, go to Cal. It was a, it's a fantastic school. I certainly didn't go there for their sports programs because <laughs> They are not, uh, we've never been at the, at truly at the upper echelon in some of the major sports. But it was a fun experience. It was a great school, had a phenomenal time. And it was a f- really a great place to go to school because of the activism and a lot of the yeah. things happening in the Bay Area at the time. So whether you were a sports fan or a music fan or just politically, it was an amazing hotbed of activity. It was just a great place to learn and a great place to go to school. Awesome. And what were you studying when you were at Cal? I was an econ major there. So okay. Was, um, economics. So as you're driving your bike past the dunes of the hospital studying economics, did you ever think, <laughs> hey, I might end up uh, in healthcare or in the hospital? At that point, not a clue. Yeah. Not a clue. But I had another connection to this hospital because okay. 
between my junior and senior year, I wanted to see what I wanted to go into, yeah. what area. And do I want to go into medical school? Do I want to go to law school? And I worked at two hospitals, Encino Hospital at that time, and at that t- and here at Tarzana, um, in the emergency room here, and in purchasing at Encino. And based on that experience, I said, you know, I really like the business aspects of health, okay. and I really enjoy that. I enjoyed meeting with the the administrative leadership at the hospital at the time. And that was in 1980, and 17 years later, I came back as the chief executive officer of those same two hospitals. In, wow. Which was Encino Tarzana Regional Medical Center. Yeah, I do recall their former names. Uh, now, when you started at those two hospitals, was it like an entry-level clerk position, or? Oh, no. It, uh, when I was here in 1980, oh, yeah. I was, a, uh, I was an orderly and an admitting clerk in the emergency room here at Tarzana. Yeah. And I worked in the uh, purchasing area in the storeroom delivering supplies uh, at Encino. So it gave me an as- not only a clinical aspect to see a bit that here in the emergency room at Tarzana, yeah. but also to see a little bit about the materials management function, procurement functions in purchasing. Okay, great. So let's go back to Cal really quickly. Um, recently in the news, uh, Aaron Rodgers, which I'm sure you know, the, oh, qu- yes. the quarterback was teased about beer drinking, uh, so wanted to make a comment that while Cal wasn't known necessarily for all the athletes, it did produce a good uh, a good quarterback. We've had a few good quarterbacks over the years. Who Maybe they can't drink beer, but they are good <laughs> quarterbacks. Yes, um, and uh, I, I really uh, we had some really good talent. Also, Kevin Johnson was going there play basketball. Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns, oh, Mayor of Mayor, Sacramento. Yeah. Um, so he was actually going to Cal. Just uh, He was a freshman when I was a senior. Okay, cool. So you graduate college. You come back to SoCal. Um, you start, Was your first job out of school doing, working with Encino and Tarzan at the time? Or? Not the first job. No, okay. no. I, um, f- once I got my master's degree, I went to work here locally. I actually worked at Northridge Hospital. Okay. And worked there for a couple of years, wanted to get more involved in administration, and then worked for a company called Tenant, yeah. um, which was the, uh, the subsequent company. The predecessor company was National Medical Enterprises. Okay. I worked there in a training program. That then took me to Northern California for two years, where I worked in Redding um, for two years as we built out a new expansion to that hospital. Came back down here to Southern California in 1987. And I worked at two hospitals in the Inland Empire before coming back to the Valley. And I worked at North Hollywood Medical Center as the chief operating officer in 1989. Okay. And then in 1991, became the chief executive at that hospital. That's great. So you were 31, probably leading folks uh, age-wise that were older. Uh, Was that ever something that you were ever nervous about? Um, Was it hard to get their buy-in? Could you talk about that? You know, it's a challenge, especially when you're young, to get the credibility when you're dealing with people that are older than you. And in fact, new grads that were just graduating medical school were younger than me Yeah. when I was the chief executive. So it was a credibility issue. Fortunately, I had some gray hair, <laughs> which helped me a lot in terms of that. Nice. But a lot of it is how you hold yourself. Yeah. And a lot of it is also acknowledging what you know and what you don't know. And at that time... You know, you want, you don't know a lot of things. Yeah. But, and I'd already been a chief, I'd already been a chief operating officer in hospitals for a few years. But I learned over the years that you learn, you know, just know what you know 
and seek those and help, you know, seek the assistance of those that can help you along your course and acknowledge the things that you don't know and, and work on those things to help you make better decisions. Yeah. And I found by working with uh, the medical staffs, working, having good leadership and good teams underneath underneath me working with them that collectively together we can accomplish a lot so i learned that you really have to realize that you don't know everything right and that you really have to seek others assistance to really make an organization succeed yeah i think that's great one of my challenges in my career was realizing that saying i don't know is acceptable and but i'd get you the answer right and you, you mentioned that it's okay, basically that it's okay to not know the answer, but surrounding yourself with people and getting the solution. I find in leadership, one of the key things is your credibility. Yeah. And if you don't know an answer, it's okay. It's how you say it, and it's how quickly you get back to somebody else with the answer. And I find that if you can address their needs, people are very, very happy about that. And as long as you kind of acknowledge what, what you know and what you don't know in a, an appropriate way, it works. And I found over the years that that has worked well for me. Awesome. So uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about your experience dealing with transitions and your new joint venture with Cedar sinai Medical Center. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. All right, folks, well, welcome back from the break. So before the break, we mentioned that Dale has been a part of a few transitions in his life, even though he's really been rooted here in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. You've actually been in the Encino Tarzana area uh, for how long now, would you say? Well, I've been at this particular hospital as the chief executive since 1997, but actually considering growing up here and uh, working here and living here, Really, up uh, since uh, 1988, okay. I've lived here, and then I grew up here. So, wow, have you lived in the same home since '88? Uh, no, okay, no, I haven't. But, okay. but all actually all in Tarzana. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So you've been the CEO of this hospital for since '97. You said in 1997 when okay. we were in Sino Tarzana Regional Medical Center, and then my first transition actually happened in uh, 2004. Okay. Tenant announced that they were divesting most of their holdings in Los Angeles. And I had Encino Hospital and Tarzana, which were two separately licensed hospitals. But it was a very interesting relationship. It was a joint venture between Tenant and Health Trust, which was acquired ultimately by HCA. So it became Tenant and HCA. HCA. And it was a Gordian knot. It was never meant to be unraveled, this type of relationship. A Gordian knot. So it was a very <laughs> tightly wound knot. Thank you. It was never designed to be unraveled. If everyone else knew what that was, I apologize, <laughs> listeners. I did not. <laughs> That's because I'm old. You know? <laughs> so this particular arrangement required a lot of work to work around. We were part, and Tarzana was actually owned by a real estate investment trust, and it required divestiture from that particular trust and removing us from that trust. Tenant and HCA was a, were a joint venture. Yeah. Encino was actually owned by HCA. And so there we had to unravel various transactions to get the deal done. Yeah, and just a note for the audience who may not know who HCA is, uh, Hospital Corporation of America, 
national hospital chain, I think based in Florida, they're coast to coast? Actually based uh, in uh, Nashville. Based in Nashville, excuse me. Okay. So I just want to clarify for those out there that may not have known what that stood for. So HCA and Tenant then worked to, we had to work to divest um, these hospitals from each other, separate them. And we also had to separate from the Real Estate Investment Trust. As we worked through that process, that all of those things plus selling the hospitals took four and a half years. Yeah. So it was a very long transition process before Encino was divested and sold to Prime Health. And Tarzana, which was unique from the perspective that it was actually sold to Providence Health and Services. So you had a for-profit organization that was sold to a not faith-based not-for-profit, which is very unique in its own right. Yeah. It, it happens very, very rarely. Yeah, okay. So today, uh, Encino and Tarzan are separate organizations, or Encino Regional Medical Center, Encino Medical Center, Providence, what is the full, is it Providence St. Joseph? Well, so our, uh, well, now, well, now we're Cedars, so which we'll get to. <laughs> so please, sorry, go ahead. So originally, <laughs> from 1997 until 2008, it was Encino Tarzana Regional Medical Center, with Encino Hospital and Tarzana Regional Medical Center being separately licensed entities. Got it. Thank you. Beginning in 2008, we became Providence Tarzana Medical Center. So that's when our current name had been in place. And just as of last week, we still are Providence Tarzana Medical Center, even though we have executed our definitive agreements with Cedars, but the official name change won't occur for a few more months. Okay, great. And before we get to the relationship with Cedars-Sinai, during those transitions where the, the divesting was happening, the Providence was had purchased the hospital, were you ever nervous as a leader? Did you always feel comfortable? How was it for you personally during that period? It was a very difficult transition time period because one of my goals was to always keep people up. And the difficulty we had, we knew that we had to ultimately retrofit the building to comply with the seismic requirements at the state. Okay. We knew that that would require over $100 million of investment into the hospital. Yeah. We're providing an extraordinarily vital service to our community in terms of the hospital and the services that we offer. I have a 1,500-plus employees who work here, and at the time, nearly 900 physicians who are here. And to try to keep everybody up, keep everybody positive about what the future of the hospital will be, because understand, you're not only addressing the clinical needs of people throughout our community, but we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility not just to my employees, but when you think about it, there's probably an additional two to three thousand more people. Their spouses, their yeah. their you know their Kids. sons, yeah. their daughters, that they are accountable to their livelihood, their work here that depends on it. So, whether you know uh, you're a nurse or a housekeeper, whether you're a physician or a lab technician, what happens here is important, right? And it's important to the livelihood of and you know the well-being of your families. So there was an added sense of pressure to make sure, hey, we, had, we better make sure that not only we are sold to the right organization who's going to be continued to be focused 
on providing outstanding health care to our community, but also an organization that wasn't going to turn this into an apartment building. Yeah. And so um, I had to make sure we kept everybody up. We had a lot of interesting things that happened during that, that time period. At one point, it was a frustration for a lot of people because it had gone on a long, long time. And Providence uh, wanted to come in and acquire the, uh, the hospital. Tenant had developed relationships with another organization. And I, at that time, did not feel that organization was going to do the right thing for our community. Yeah. Remember, not only do I work here, I also live, live here. here. Yeah. So I also have to look at my friends and neighbors and be able to look them in the eye and say, we're doing the best we can. Yeah. And so I remember having to go to Dallas and meet with the chief executive officer, jumping over a series of layers of people to get to the CEO of, of Tenant, which was at the time, I think, rated ranked the number 75 largest um, organization in the country. It was very large yeah. before the divestitures occurred. Okay. And telling him that, Providence wants to buy the hospital, we should be looking at that and looking away from organizations that others had already developed agreements with. Yeah. So we pushed that very, very hard, telling him that the way you're approaching this isn't the right thing for our community and isn't the right way. It's not going to meet the needs of our, of our patients, of our people who work here, of our physicians. And so we were able to switch that and nice. uh, had to, you know, jump over some folks to get there. But it was the right thing to do for for everyone concerned. So, so Providence ended up acquiring the facility in September of 2008, four and a half years after the original announcement of the di- of the sale of the two hospitals. So, as you, for lack of a better word, battled on behalf of the hospital and the community to convince them, I convinced Tenet to that Providence was probably looking at the best interests of the community or would be in the best interest of the community. When you found out that they went with, they were going to go with Providence, did you pump your fist? Did you say, yes, like, how are you feeling? Like, I was, I was ecstatic. I yeah. was very, very pleased. Providence is an outstanding organization, and I know would do right by this community. Yeah. Based upon their mission, by the goals of the organization, the values that the organization held, this would be the right thing for the community, even though... Providence is a faith-based Catholic organization in a community that has a large Jewish population. I knew that where their mission and values and goals are based upon body, mind, and spirit, no matter which religion anyone is associated with, it was not about religion. It was about making sure that we're addressing a patient's, not only their, their, their medical needs, but also any kind of spiritual needs they had. Providence would make sure that they were doing the right thing. And an indicative of that is the fact that on our staffs today, we have priests and ministers, sisters, and two rabbis. So it's to address who we take care of in the community. And that's what's pretty special about the organization. So I knew knew Providence would do good and do right by the community. Yeah. Well, I was born at Little Company Mary Torrance back in 1980. It was before Providence, but... I have an indirect personal connection because of that. I was actually at St. Joseph's in Burbank earlier today. So in my day job, uh, I'm interacting with Providence pretty regularly and have positive experiences. So uh, we've also had Eric Wexler on the show, um, uh, who is also a leader at Providence. Oh, yeah. And I think, Dale, you're our second leader uh, from Providence. So we've had positive experiences uh, as well. So we talked about the upcoming Cedar sinai Joint venture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Well, 
what ended up happening is, is that in 2000, and I'll go back to 2014, we were looking at what we were going to do with Tarzana in terms of whether we retrofit the hospital or looking at a much broader, more, you know, aspirational project. And this that, was as a result of the retrofitting requirements? Rather than looking at just simply retrofitting the hospital, we said, let's do something that is going to be better than the retrofitting. Because if you just retrofitted the hospital, you would have it look a little bit nicer, but doesn't address the where, where cl- clinical needs are going. Got it. We looked at where should we put our efforts in terms of where healthcare will look like, will, will be and will look like in the future. So as a result of that, we brought in an outside company, had them do some master plans, and we looked at a design of the hospital, which would be fundamentally different than what we would have today. A big focus would be on private rooms, expansion of some of our our services that are on the outpatient side, but not in the walls of the hospital, outside, which result in helping to build new office buildings in the community, growth of some of our um, outpatient services, whether that be imaging or surgery uh, and ambulatory surgery center. We looked at expansion of some of our emergency services. Their emergency room is, is significantly larger in the new project. So we put together a model that was approved by the Providence Board, which is now a roughly a $540 million project, significantly more aspirational than simply retrofitting the building. Yeah. But we felt if we put a project like that together, the best way to do it would be with a partner. Yep. Not only from the perspective of defraying costs, but also as we look at doing more in the Valley and stem the out-migration why people leave the Valley for healthcare, we felt we needed to do something special, something that would be different than what the Valley has seen before. So we're looking at how we can bring new specialties, new services coming in to the community. And that's actually uh, felt, we felt it would be important for us to work with an academic medical center, a quaternary medical center that provides care at an, at an extraordinarily high level that would have access to many of the specialties, specialties that this community, the San Fernando Valley needs. Yeah. So our dialogues ensued with Cedars because it made sense for us and it makes sense for them as they grow, as Cedars grows and continues to grow their ambulatory network and their overall network and as Providence continues to do the same thing, creating a partnership is very unique and special. And while other organizations are saying, you know, looking at doing it, we're actually, the neat part about it for me is we're actually, we're able to do it. It took 20 months of negotiation to get there, but yeah. after much work, both organizations were really um, positive about making sure it happened from the very beginning, and that's why I think we ended up with uh, just an outstanding result at the end of the day. Yeah, no, you bring up some good points, especially how people were leaving the Valley for healthcare. Um, in, my, in my regular role, I work with organizations in the LA, kind of city of LA area, where people from the San Fernando Valley are driving into an LA over the 405 freeway or even 101 sometimes, but mostly through the 405 to get services in the city of Los Angeles, even though ideally they would get those services here in the Valley. It sounds like this new partnership is going to address a lot of those issues. As again, someone who works here and lives here, yeah. when I would take meetings over the hill, even going to Cedars, it would take me an hour to get there. Yeah. And I could put it into ways and how many routes I chose. There was no easy or good way to get there. Yeah. 
So it's really important and we, as we look at traffic and how things are changing, one of the things that we definitely know is, is that we can talk about improvements in traffic, but it's still taking longer to get over the hill. So the Valley deserves to have these services here in the Valley. Yeah. And so our goal would be to help move some of those services. We're working on some of them now and being able to expand those and be able to have just an outstanding state-of-the-art facility with a tremendous partner in Cedars to help us really create um, an opportunity for growth to stem that out migration to leaving people leaving the valley and keep people local, keep them at home for healthcare. Awesome. So can you talk about maybe a couple examples? Um, I think as part of this, I don't know if redesign is the right term, but like, for, is your emergency department changing at all, for example? It is. We're, we currently see about 55,000 emergency room visits a year, and we do so in roughly 18 beds that we have here. Oh, wow. Okay. In the future, we're going to have 33 beds. Okay. And that we're, we're looking at uh, roughly being able to care for 100,000 people in our emergency room. Okay. Now, uh- granted, care is also going into other outpatient settings in terms of urgent cares and other locations. But the reality of it is each and every year we still see growth in our emergency room activity. So we need to make sure we're addressing that need, especially as the population will grow in in many pockets in the west end of the San Fernando Valley and beyond. Okay. So the emergency room, that is growing as well. We also are expanding some of our pediatric functions. So our pediatric intensive care unit, is that unit will be growing up to eight beds as well. And we have a dedicated floor for pediatrics. We're expanding other related services, so we'll be really looking at what we can do in expanding our cardiac services, our oncology or cancer-related services, and so we'll also be expanding other specialties throughout the hospital. This project also is, is growing the number of operating rooms we have, okay. but not just adding operating rooms. We actually, because of construction, had to take out three of our current uh, ORs, which brought us from 11 to 8. And then ultimately, we're going to have 13 operating rooms. Okay. The key with that is each and every one of those operating rooms that we're adding is nearly 600 square feet or more. They have to be big because more and more services that are going to be provided in these operating rooms require robotic equipment yeah. or additional resources. So the rooms have to be big. Okay. Also, each and every one of the rooms in the hospital, they're all private rooms, but they're big as well. Because the intention of it is care will come to the patient as opposed to the patient leaving the area for care. Yeah. So as we bring more services and activities into a patient room, it needs to be able to accommodate those, uh, those pieces of equipment. That makes sense. And that, uh, you mentioned the care going to the patient. And that kind of leads me to um, a question I have about Providence's uh, service lines outside of just inpatient care. So... I know in the Northwest, Providence owns like senior living, uh, at least one, maybe maybe multiple, uh, forgive me for not recalling. I know also Providence has its own home health and hospice. So briefly, can you touch on, especially here in Southern California, in your market here, uh, the home health and hospice, and are you guys looking at additional service lines besides those as well here? You know, it's funny. When you look at how care is changing, it really, we're going to see people coming into the hospital eventually, and it's been talked about for a lot of years, but really having a much higher acuity. And currently, patients that are in the hospital today, they'll be take cared for 
in their home settings and in outpatient settings as opposed to coming here. Right. We see that all the time. And I, you know, depending on the age of who's listening, we'll understand that years ago, people used to spend two to three weeks if you needed a total knee or a total hip replacement going between the hospital and in a rehab hospital and then going home. Whereas now many of those services are being provided in ambulatory surgery centers and then going home. So the way that we look at it, more care is going to be in a home-based setting. So it's really important that we expand home-based services um, that are going out there to, to our patients. So as an example, as we look at the expansion of not only home, uh, home health and other related services, which we provide in terms of hospice and palliative care and other services as well, going home at end-of-life-related issues, but just the routine types of things, we're going to be able to have to provide more and more care at home. So we're, we're looking at what things do make sense that can be provided in that setting or should be provided in that setting clinically to address patient needs. Much of that in the future is actually going to be telehealth. Yeah. So there's a huge focus and expansion of what, is it, what can we do in the telehealth arena and how do we better you know, keep people in touch with healthcare providers and what we can do about those kinds of things. Also, Providence has an innovation division. Mm -hmm. That innovation division is involved in looking at technologies that will hook patients up to healthcare providers more easily, more adeptly. And so I think you're going to see more of those things take to start to take hold over, over the years. And you're going to see more and more of those kinds of things where people used to come into an emergency room or into a hospital, and you're going to see more of those things actually being done at home. That makes sense. Well, Dale, you've been a, a wealth of information on a lot of things, uh, including LA sports, which is great, and fantasy football. So we appreciate that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I know our, our audience is very interested about the new relationship with Cedar sinai And so look, uh, look for the, the project to be mostly completed by 2022 or? Actually, the entire, we're looking at the project being completed in 2023. Okay. You'll see Providence, Cedar sinai coming online somewhere between the third and the fourth quarter of this year. Okay. And you'll see the new name of the hospital and we'll start to roll out some new services along the way. But the entire project will be completed. In, the goal is 1 January of 2023. Okay, very good. So again, the full name of the hospital come towards the end of this year will be? Providence Cedar sinai Tarzana Medical Center. Very good, folks. Again, that's Providence Cedar sinai Tarzana Medical Center. Very good. Yeah. Dale Surowitz has been our guest today um, and appreciate you making the time on a holiday weekend when we're recording. Uh, I know you guys are quite busy today, as you referenced. I really appreciate the time. Kathy Evans helped set this up. So quick shout out if you're listening, Kathy. And uh, folks, if you like today's show, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you'd like to learn more about the uh, soon-to-be-known-as Providence Cedars-Sinai Tarzana Medical Center, how can they learn more, Dale? You can give us a call here at the hospital, or you can look us up um, at www.providence.org. Click the link, and you'll get to the hospital. Very good. Well, thanks, Dale. Everyone, take care.